This is The Spark, a podcast featuring conversations with life sciences industry leaders who are dedicated to igniting change across the healthcare continuum. Join our host, Derek Arts, and discover what the new frontier of clinical research looks like and how the industry can lean into change right now. This is The Spark Podcast, your go-to source for powerful ideas about the future of clinical research. The Spark is brought to you by Castor, a leading provider of decentralized and hybrid clinical trial solutions to democratize research. Welcome everyone to the Spark podcast. This is our first episode of this podcast. Here we try to have meaningful conversations with life sciences industry leaders who are, like me, very excited about igniting change across life sciences and hopefully healthcare as a whole. My name is Derek Arts, and I'm going to be the host of the show today. And with me is a clinical trial operations leader and biochemist who has spent the past 28 years in the industry. Kathleen, welcome. I noticed that you just started your own business, and I thought maybe it's best for you to tell us about that, as opposed to me trying to explain it to our listeners. Thank you so much. No, I'm very excited to be here. As you mentioned, my name is Kathleen Wise-Mandel. I'm a biochemist and organizational change management nerd. I've just founded my own consulting company called Aspire to Grow. My hope there is to provide clinical research strategy consulting to emerging small biotech companies and also you know, really just help them with some, some guidance and experience that I've had over my years of clinical research. Nice. Yeah, I think we see the need for that quite often. And there's a lot of people, I think, with a great idea, but then the technicalities on how to actually set up a trial and contract a CRO and run a trial that is a lot more difficult in practice than it seems from the outset. Can you just briefly tell us about your experience in the industry and what I think all those things ultimately led you to be where you are right now? I'd love to just hear where you've been and what you've seen. Absolutely. It's interesting how you don't always think about your journey until you arrive somewhere and realize that all those experiences really mattered. So I started in the laboratories for company Eli Lilly, working as a biochemist in their laboratory, and then moved into the Chicago area, continued in the laboratory, but then started working um, with a company what was then called Searle, working on a little arthritis drug called Celecoxib, which you may better know as Celebrix. Working with the patients and the sites really was so exciting for me to bring my science, but also that opportunity to help others was really met with that particular career. As I continued to sort of grow and develop, I then moved to another company where I worked in solid organ transplantation uh, continued to grow and develop in, as a manager and leader in those areas and continued to focus in on the science and just the needs of the patient. It took me through a few different mid-sized companies just to continue my growth and learning. Eventually ended up at a company called uh, Takeda, working in a really exciting new area, looking at translational research very early in the clinical research process, right around first in human uh, when the medicine is first being tested, and really started focusing in on biomarker and proof of mechanism very early. And that really just 
was so exciting for me, even more so because it piqued my scientific interest. But we knew we had a lot of operational challenges and inefficiencies that we needed to address as well. Some of those companies do change during time. So they moved offices and I moved on to a couple of other companies and finally found my way to oncology company in a very similar first in human area. And it was right around the time of COVID. So there were a lot of learnings in terms of operational efficiencies and inefficiencies and problems we needed to address because from a development point of view, nothing was slowing down for the right reasons. Um, It's a business, but it's also a business trying to cure cancer. So it was really an exciting time working with fantastic people and learning the oncology space. Some very similar things to non-oncology in that early space with with many biomarkers, many tests, many laboratory uh, tests that we need to do and how to collect data from our sites. And for me, it was just really exciting to see how hard people will work to help their patients. Amazing. I think I just have always wanted to go and and consult and I finally took the risk and here I am. Yeah, very exciting. I remember starting my first business. That's that's a long time ago now. And uh, still, I think to, to this day, um, I really enjoy the kind of freedom it gives and the uh, the challenge it brings with it. There's no clear path carved out for you going forward, of course. What experience do you feel has helped you the most in sort of preparing for striking out on, on your own, if anything? Because I imagine most of these companies were uh, relatively big. And I sort of like to think that I say corporate life doesn't always prepare you, you know, very well for, for the, the startup life or the life of an entrepreneur. What experiences have, have you think helped you the most? I think it was over my course of going th- through a few different companies and realizing my desire to go in and help surface blind spots and help people work more efficiently so that they could have balance in their lives. And once those things were in place, I felt that I got a little bored. There wasn't as much of a challenge. And I saw this coming up over and over again and thought, well, maybe I'm more in that innovative space. And the the larger the company, it's harder to be innovative past a certain point. I think that's where I just finally had this awakening that said, give it a shot. The worst case scenario is you go back to doing what you love is certainly worth a try. Yeah, I think that's super inspiring. I think that realization that you can go back, you have that safety net and you have that career behind you, of course, is an amazing starting off point to uh, uh, to jump in. You mentioned taking risk. I think you're basically a professional change maker, change manager. I know a lot of big corporates, also companies that you work for are obviously trying to make a change. What do you think is is making that difficult? Why is it that even someone like you on the inside felt the need to go somewhere where change can be made faster? I think from my lens, it has a lot to do with being a productivity-driven industry, having the timelines, especially to publicly traded companies, be so highly visible to Wall Street. And there is a lot of pressure with that. Again, needed pressure because it's exciting medicine and we're changing the lives of patients. But I think that can somehow cloud the vision of going through more transformational change. Transactional change is a little easier, but to do it with a large ship is is a little harder to steer. In the early phase, uh, which I mostly participated in the last 10 years, we had a little bit more opportunity to make some of those smaller changes that made a difference. 
and build in reflection time of understanding, okay, we went through this period of time. How do we reflect and learn and almost take a design thinking mindset of this and, and understand what were the pain points? I think we have an opportunity to really talk with our customers, which I view as our investigational sites, but also our patients and understand their experience. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that's important to you as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wonder, what, what do you consider your most exciting or impactful uh, success in terms of driving change? And then specifically, I think something that, that lasts. Can you name any examples? Obviously, don't, you don't have to mention any, any names or where this happened, but I'm just curious to, to sort of hear what you consider one of your successes. Well, I definitely, one of the things I found I was able to do was really engage with my employees one-on-one as much, not too frequently because they have work to do, but to listen to the pain points they were experiencing and hearing from their sites as well, and then saying, okay, what can we do about this? One of the recent companies, we had an opportunity primarily driven by privacy laws in Europe to make a change in something that had been very difficult to work with in terms of how we collected laboratory data. And it was really difficult for the sites. And even more so when some of the coordinators were working away from the hospital, it was really hard for them to do this workflow that was related to laboratory data collection. We knew we had a lot of stakeholders to sort of convince because on our side of things, the business side, it was a well-known process that was established and maybe making some changes would mean a lot of things needed to be reassessed. But we really had the voice of our customer, our sites telling us it was very inconvenient and it was something they really wanted to change. So we worked together as a team across the company and with our sites to bring together sort of the opportunities for that change, what things needed to change, why it mattered, And sure enough, we were able to make that change. And the decision maker decided we would do it for the entire company moving forward. I want to say our sites were so thrilled that we took this initiative. It was a hard thing to change. It was something that was embedded in behavior and process. In essence, it would be saving money, but more so it was really saving the time and effort of our our clinical sites. That's really great. And I think specifically in this time where everybody, I think, is still very excited about more patient-friendly trials or remote trials, or let me just call them decentralized trials uh, for clarity, I sometimes feel the side perspective is overlooked a little bit. Obviously, we you know that the theory would be there are no sites, but I think we all know that that is not really true and it's actually rarely the case. Sites will still be around. I had a really nice discussion with Brad Hightower about this as well, that think it's going to be very difficult to basically move every single protocol and every single study activity or every single study visit to you know the patient's home. Do you feel like sites have been overlooked a little bit in the past? Because clearly you you've identified this as a major pain point also for the business you were working for at the time. How do you how do you feel that? I do, but I tend to be fairly empathic. So <laughs> I, I just feel like in terms of our real product is the data, obviously caring for patients is really important, but the data are what we use to make decisions and understand if the drug or medicine is safe and effective, but they are our partners. They're our eyes and ears. They have the relationships with the patients. And in essence, they're our future customer with treating patients if all goes well. So I do think their perspective can sometimes be overlooked. 
I think it is easier in early phase when things are smaller, even though they're growing to be much more complex than some later phase studies, um, because we're trying to do so many things um, in an exploratory nature to determine what biomarkers might be impacted by the particular target that we're trying to address. There's multiple stakeholders for sure, and the sites are one of them. Exactly. And I think specifically in early phase oncology, that's going to be difficult to, to get around. And I'm not even sure we want that because right, right, I think right. we've, we've heard many times that a lot of patients do like seeing people and going somewhere and going to a site and having a face-to-face interaction. And we shouldn't overlook that. And obviously for me as a technology vendor, that may not be the most optimal thing to say, but I, I do think it's the truth. And we just need to recognize that. You mentioned in the notes we shared before this call, uh, inefficiencies and inconvenience of, uh, of the data capturing process. Could you tell us sort of also with this eyes in mind, what, what does this look like if you can just fly into the future in a time machine and land in one parallel universe where everything has aligned and everything is as close to perfection as possible? What does, an, for example, early phase oncology trial look like and how is it different from what we do today? I think first and foremost, because data are so important for us, just from a data perspective, and again, this is my my perspective, I could be seeing things a little bit too simplistically. I do know that when the site or the hospital gets the laboratory results back or the imaging data back, there is a process that feels quite manual to me where a data coordinator then needs to enter those data into another system that then goes to the sponsor, the pharmaceutical biotech company. We typically have a field CRA who reviews the data to make sure that they're entered correctly. We have edit checks that check the data to make sure they're in ranges that we think are reasonable. And then we have groups of people internally that review the uh, the data cumulatively and holistically by patient to ensure that things seem to be accurate, that if there is a value that's out of range, it's not an error. It's actually something we're seeing and we're looking for trends. I think we are seeing the use of analytics to help us see some of those data trends when we're looking at the full set of data. But I think for me, it feels like we're overlaying that atop um, older process. So I think there's opportunity for us to to make that process even more lean to say, how can we rely more on analytics to help us understand if there's a pattern, a safety issue, or an efficacy opportunity? From the site's perspective, I think it really is a burden for them, especially with finding employees right now. It's very difficult for them to find the right employees to do this data Uh, transcription into our electronic data capture system, it would be fantastic. And I know there's opportunities being reviewed to say, could we take something from an electronic medical health record and somehow securely transfer what we need as a sponsor to the sponsor? So we, we bypass a few of those steps. Obviously, with privacy as an issue, that's probably more complicated than it appears. But I think that would at least alleviate two or three steps there. Yeah. And so you've, I think, spent very articulate explaining the inefficiencies, mostly on, I think, the data management side. So if you step out of your time machine and, and <laughs> look around and you see the, the perspective of the patient, will that have changed significantly in your in your future? How would the patient experience this journey differently? Is it just that the trial completes faster and it's more like things that are changing in the back end that are out of view of the patient? Or, or do you see the way they participated in a trial also changed significantly in this ideal future. 
I really hope that that changes for them as well. As you know, and you alluded to this as well as having more greater inclusivity for patients that are underrepresented, I think that there are some barriers that are hard to overcome right now in terms of gaining trust, but also educating and helping these patients who might not have the ability to come in for multiple visits to a very difficult protocol, how some of the decentralized opportunities may allow us to target patients who have jobs or who may not have reliable transportation or who have caregiver responsibilities. If we have an opportunity to help in that way for them to participate in a way that feels safe and and very trusted, I think that could change their participation as well. And then to give us richer data, in many cases, some of our indications that we're looking to treat have a varied population representation in terms of how they impact different races and ethnicities. And it is really, it behooves us to find that same representation in our clinical trial participants. So I think we have a ways to go there, but I know FDA's uh, aligning with us on that and, and really wanting us to work harder in that area. I think technology can offer us that affordance. Yeah, I think uh, all stakeholders still have a lot of work ahead of them to make this a reality. But I do think, you know, foundationally, technology is there to significantly change um, what that what that future trial would would look like. Let's say you you bring in you bring on ten biotech customers to consult with and help them uh, run the trials in, in various therapeutic areas. Would you recommend to them a decentralized approach right now and where we are in time? How would you view that, and then how would you evaluate that? What factors would you weigh before you make that recommendation? Yeah, I you know I think that for me, uh, it's sort of a hybrid opportunity where we do have an opportunity to capture data in a decentralized manner on in many ways, including using wearables and depending on the indication and the relationship maybe they have with the investigator or the site staff. Are they new to that site staff or is this their caregiver in real life and feeling comfortable in that way? But I don't know if it completely replaces the opportunity to build that relationship with a few different visits that are in person. Yeah, I do think, though, indication would be really important. If you have a super sick patient, it might be more advantageous to have the decentralized method as well as, you know, continual monitoring to find any particular concerns between visits, I think is really, really important. That's why I do love the device opportunity for capturing those data. And really just, you know, managing the patient while they're in their environment as well is so important. So I have a lot more to learn about that, Derek, but I do think that a hybrid is probably the best way to sort of dip toes into that until it becomes much more common and people get more experience. Yeah, but, but I think hybrid is already pretty modern. Like, I think if we're being honest, the vast majority of protocols are pretty, you know, I think are, are still being conducted in pretty traditional ways. And you know, I'm just wondering when push comes to shove, is it is it going to be hybrid is super exciting and it's probably going to be patient friendly, but right now it's probably just better if, if they come to the site and we use ECRFs and um, you know maybe pick a vendor that you're already familiar with, because I feel like for, for specifically for these smaller biotechs, I think they they have reason to be almost even more risk averse than the bigger players, right? Because it's their one shot at getting their their drug or probably drug to to market or at least get it to a stage where it becomes interesting, interesting acquisition target for uh, for pharmas. How do you view that? Like what level of risk 
or like at least perceived risk do you think these biotechs would be willing to to take because obviously I'm a deep believer that modern technology is the key to more successful trials and, and more patient satisfaction. But I know in the industry that that's not always a view that's being shared. Oh, I, I mean, I really love the idea. And I think in some ways, those data that are coming in can help predict where we think the trial is going. So I think, again, I don't know the specifics. I still have a lot more research to do on the opportunities in decentralized and the ways of capturing those data and using them in real time. But I'd like to think that a biotech that is small and emerging may want to find that signal sooner before a huge investment that doesn't allow them to understand that they may not have the safety signal they were hoping for or the efficacy signal until they've made a huge investment. So I think there could be a way to balance that risk with a potential benefit of finding a signal earlier. Um, exactly. the, other, the other benefit I really do believe is that if we, FDA is going to be very firm on even early development studies asking us to include diverse populations, and that's going to require ease. Decentralized trials will provide that ease to the patients, and that's going to be critical. So I, I do, while I say hybrid, I don't want to make it sound as though it would be primarily in person and just a few outpatient setting of the home. I think it could be more heavily reliant on on the home setting with just maybe intermittent, less than monthly, I don't know the frequency, but something that still keeps that relationship intact to keep that patient interested in trial participation. But I think from a signal point of view, uh, it's critical. Yeah, that's good to hear. Obviously, what I'm thinking too. Um, so good to hear that we share that, that perspective. What is the innovation or, or sort of new trend that you've seen in the industry that you would be most excited to, uh, to see one of your customers apply and then sort of bring into practice? Is there anything that's relatively new that you think that has really sparked sort of joy and, and, and interest in you? <laughs> you know, gosh, it's so funny because the last two companies I've been with were relatively risk averse in some of those things. I would say, I, I think we have a lot more to leverage in the wearable technology. I think there's a lot more to, to leverage in data analytics. I think as you mentioned, I, I think I read about your company in just terms of decision making and having the data to do so earlier. I think that will make a huge change in helping folks make decisions, identify what decisions need to be made earlier, and then making those decisions based on the data that are coming in in an, an aggregated way, I think is is critical. I don't know what that looks like, but I can tell you it's such a need. Exactly. And so it is ultimately a piece of technology that sits on top of all the data streams that are running in a trial. Did I get that correctly? Yeah, I think so. And the other component, Derek, and I, I think I read this as well, is the, the synthetic controls is so critical as well because FDA obviously wants us to, to look at, um, you know, are we better than placebo or, you know, better than standard of care? And the synthetic control allows us to enroll patients without the fear of being added to a placebo arm. And I, I know if I had a sick relative, I would be really interested in that trial. And I would think that would make customers really happy not to have to have a placebo arm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I think so too. Uh, do you think, for example, for phase two, for phase two trial, do do you think the FDA is far along enough to 
accept that potentially in, in submission data or like where do you think that's at because that i think is one of the biggest dreams we have in the industry but i think everybody's also thinking well i also just want to get my submission through and approved so how, how do you see that you know i imagine there's probably uh, thought groups around that uh, i know transcelerate and other groups like that do talk about those types of things it would be really interesting to talk with a group like that where you have many people from different companies coming together to try to influence regulators in that way. We all can agree that in the cancer setting, especially if you think about the, the Moonshot Initiative from the Biden administration, it would be really beneficial to say, this is how much quicker we can do this study to get real answers if we can take a look at a patient population that didn't have access to medicine, that medicine or that treatment anyway, how did they respond? What did they look like over time? And then maybe put more of our efforts on, as you mentioned, as we go into greater and greater populations, we might see a signal we didn't see in a smaller population. If we have a way to look at specifically those on treatment versus having that delay of trying to enroll placebo patients uh, we may also get to those decisions sooner. Yeah, exactly. All right, we're coming up on the end of um, of this uh, this episode. I was wondering, can you offer a final piece of uh, advice or a suggestion to our audience? And let's maybe say, just make it specific, small biotech or maybe small medical device or DTX company venturing into this, this new grand world of clinical trials. Do you have uh, one recommendation they should take to heart? I do. I would just say from an operational execution point of view, one of the, the hardest things to do is to uh, operationalize a complex study. And sometimes we overcomplicate those things with answers to everything that we're looking for. And if there's certain critical parameters that we know are important for us to make a no or a go or no go decision, let's answer those. It makes it easier for the site. It makes it easier for the patient. It, it makes it easier to execute. And maybe just not overcomplicated is is the best I can yeah. say. Keep it simple. Keep it simple for sure. I mean, obviously, it's clinical research. It's going to be complicated, but yeah, sometimes it can be overcomplicated. Yeah, exactly. Just focus on your your primary endpoints and, and take it from there. Exactly. Nice. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. Okay. Uh, Kathleen, <laughs> thank you so thank you so much for uh, for joining us today and and sharing your knowledge and wisdom here on uh, on the Spark. And thanks to the listeners for joining us. We'll be uh, recording more episodes and uh, we'll be um, publishing those on all major podcast platforms. So I hope that we'll have you join us again in the future. Um, thank you very much. It. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. hope this episode sparked new ideas and learnings for you today. You're listening to The Spark, your go-to source for powerful ideas about the future of clinical research. This podcast was brought to you by Castor, a leading provider of decentralized and hybrid clinical trial solutions to democratize research. Listen to The Spark on all streaming platforms anytime, anywhere.